Conquering the fear of conflict at work is one way smart leaders and good bosses set themselves apart from the rest. But how do you do that? So few of us enjoy conflict. Most of us avoid it and even get defensive. And those who do like conflict are often thought of as bullies. How do we have those difficult conversations at work with grace? My next guest has some great suggestions. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, the weekly podcast for smart executives, managers, and entrepreneurs looking to improve business performance and their bottom line. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. I've got a terrific guest for you today. She's Dr. Deborah Dupree also known as the Mindset Doc. She's a dispute resolution specialist, a conflict leadership coach, an international trainer, and a keynote speaker. In addition, she's written a terrific ebook, Your Emotional Potential. She also hosts a biweekly podcast called Decoding the Conflict Mindset. Dr. Deb says people have a financial and personal need to work, but work doesn't always feel psychologically safe. And she's found this to be true at every level of an organization. That's why she takes her worldwide community to a new level of understanding with empathy and compassion to help them turn challenging confrontation into curious conversations for learning, living, and growing and having a more cohesive workplace. I can't wait to get more details about how we can stop freaking out about confrontation, overcome our fear of conflict, and turn those disagreements into curious conversations. So welcome to Business Confidential Now, Dr. Deb. Thank you so much, Hannah. Delighted to be here. Well, I'm excited, you know, because... Before diving into how to have a curious conversation, I'd love to have a better understanding of why you think so many of us avoid confrontation. Why do we suck it up when deep down inside we know we ought to spit it out? Why are we our own worst enemy at times? That's a great way to get started because it really, you know, hones in right on the fact that we are wired, you know, to survive. And, you know, so that drive to survive has real physiological components that are we going to fight? And there are some of us who naturally do. Are we going to flee, which is what some of us naturally do? Or do we simply freeze up? Or do we try to amend everything and, and give away the world? And so those are the basic, you know, neurobiological patterns for how we react when we're triggered. And, you know, it goes back to our, you know, prehistoric human predecessors that, you know, we're still wired the same way. We just don't have the same threats, you know, that our our predecessors did. But the threats are still there, and we physiologically and emotionally react to that. And unless we hone our skills, deepen our understanding and awareness, we oftentimes are mismanaging those natural reactions into explosive outcomes, and then it gets really ugly. <laughs> Yeah, that's to put it mildly. I mean, ugly in so many ways, but I don't want to really dwell on the ugly part. I'm interested in what you said about how we're wired the same, but our threats are different. And so what suggestions do you have for us to overcome our fear of conflict and managing these threats? Well, I have learned over my years of working with people in conflict 
that there are certain patterns of behavior that emerge. And in fact, it was more of my mediation foundation some 30 years ago, more so than my psychological background, that really caused me to study human behavior from a different perspective. And so when I'm working with people to help them learn how to manage their response to conflict differently, I do take them through what I call three steps to mindset shift. And it's really three layers of deeper understanding, not only of self, but also of others. Because when we unlock those clues that are right there in front of us and we know what to do with those clues, it's amazing how we can redirect that challenging confrontation into a learning conversation. Well, let's talk about how to do those redirects, because unless you've got a chronic complainer in your office or somewhere on your your team who comes in with every little thing, chances are people take things more in stride. They wait for the right opportunity, but also chances are things have been building up for a little while and they come in and they could be, I won't say explosive, but upset. They're emotional about it because they care and they see that something is wrong. What would be the first step you would recommend to somebody who's now having to respond to that particular employee? As a leader who really wants to be effective as an influencer and model the way, you know, and to be regarded with respect and, you know, and integrity for how we show up. It really does start with self first. And so it's important that we learn to identify what our own triggers are, how we physiologically respond, but also to recognize what other people do that tend to trigger us. And I, I emphasize that because too often I've seen over my years of mediation, you know, work-related disputes oftentimes between leaders and employees at any level, that unless leaders, managers, supervisors develop their mindfulness, their awareness of where others, you know, how others are, are showing up, they tend to keep it at the surface and because they really don't know what to do. It's like an iceberg, you know, they react to the tip of the iceberg, what they see but they seldom feel comfortable or feel they have the skills to dive a little further to what's driving this behavior, what's going on for this person, understanding the context for the behavior that comes into mind. So that's, to me, the first step, developing your own, you know, it's oftentimes called emotional intelligence these days. You know, how do you self-manage and then knowing others and then how do you manage that relationship? Four key critical components. And so that's where we start with shifting the mindset of the leader. Because when we have come in with that umbrella of thinking, now we can better deal with those employees who show up at our offices or show up in the hallways or on screen virtually, you know, who are upset, who, you know, are reacting poorly, who are not displaying good emotional intelligence management themselves. And so it's a two-pronged approach. You know, anytime we talk about intervention, let's start with self first and what's going on for you so that. Now we can apply what we learn about others more effectively, more efficiently, and more articulately. Well, that that sounds, makes good sense in, in theory. Applying it may be a little tougher. Let's go okay. back to the supervisor, the, the leader who's being confronted by this employee who's upset. And maybe they're not upset with what the leader has done, but they're upset with something else that's happening in the business with a customer, with a vendor. And, you know, they, they want some kind of a response and help 
from the leader that they hadn't been getting before. And the leader recognizes, oh my God, this person's going to blow up and have a meltdown, or maybe they are blowing up and having a meltdown and they're scared. What Mm -hmm. should they do? I'm glad you took it back to the practical application because this is real, but it starts with the framework of thinking. Okay. And so now practical strategic tactics come into play here. And again, it's first understanding that neurobiological response we have. Trying to go there in the heat of the moment is really not the best idea. What we want to try to do then is to redirect that emotional thing. And so I'll give a few practical tips. Is that recognizing that when we get triggered, there's a whole lot physiologically that's going on in our bodies and in our brains. And when we're in the heat of the moment, we're not coming from a cognitive perspective. We're coming from an emotionally reactive perspective. And so this has been built on a, a number of you know, studies and research and practical application. I, I use this in my mediations, in my workplace interventions. I know it works. And so it's really a two-part communication strategy. You know, so what I call helpful phrases are helpful phrases that you know, a manager, supervisor, leader at any level can employ as part of their vocabulary, such as, you know, I can see that you're really upset. What I'd like to suggest is that, you know, go ahead and take five minutes just to sit here alone in my office, and I want you to write down three or four, maybe even five key things about what happened. And then we can come back. That will give me something better to focus on, and then we can come up with a plan of action for how do we move forward. Why that's so important is that, by giving, you know, acknowledging, acknowledging is huge, acknowledging that someone is upset, but then say, you know, why don't you take a few minutes to, you know, think about, you know, the key things that you want to share with me and write them down. There's a couple of things that gets accomplished with that is that by asking people to write down three or four, maybe five things, you're actually helping redirect their brain activity to get out of that emotional part into the cognitive part and by structuring it with three or four or five things now you've given them the framework for them to re-examine what's going on for themselves and you're also focusing them on the facts of the situation not the emotional content and so when the manager comes back the conversation is much more focused and meaningful by employing these simple little strategies, because otherwise I'm sure many of our listeners have often experienced where someone upset comes into our office and then they just ramble on and on and you're trying to make sense of what they're saying. Well, that's that emotional reactive state of mind that they're in, that they, they're not making sense. They're, they're just going all over the place. And so that's what we want to redirect into something more focused, strategic, and actionable. And then once you hear that, it's even questions like, well, how would you like to see this happen? What do you feel needs to happen? And again, you're engaging the cognitive part of the employee's brain and helping them move out of that emotionally reactive. Now, granted, you know, this does take practice. You know, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. And so we get better and better at doing these kinds of things. So that's a framework. You know, we want to learn how to redirect that emotionally reactive person by using some simple cognitive redirection. Now, let's say somebody is partway through that and, you know, the employee has put these things down on paper, the supervisor, the leader comes back in and looks at these, and then one of those things triggers them. 
They just blurt out, well, you didn't do X, Y, Z. No wonder this is da, 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 da. And there it goes. We're off to the races. How can somebody recover from something like that? Excellent point, yes. Because, it, you know, again, it can run away unless we're mindful enough as the leader to try to redirect that. You know, I, I hear that, you know, you're getting upset again by you know, even going over these facts. But let's stay focused on the facts because only if we focus on the facts can we really figure out a way to resolve this situation. And and this is where re-engaging the employee in cognitive thought by asking open-ended questions. And the manager, the leader, doesn't want to come back into the room with this emotionally set person with the intent to fixing the problem right away. Again, it's turning that challenging confrontation into learning conversation and help me understand more. That's one of the most powerful phrases, by the way, Hannah. Help me understand. You know, you said this. Tell me more. And again, you're getting the upset employee to, you know, redirect in their own brain by your questions. Now, I know an- another thing about this is a lot of management leaders will say, this will take forever. Oh, I will assure you that this will take far less time than letting the employee rant on unchecked. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Definitely the focus. I think it's really hard for a, a leader to say, help me understand or tell me more if the employee is having a problem with them. I think sometimes the power that they have to hire and fire, you know, one thing that could trigger them is, I don't have time for this. You know what? You're fired. Well, good luck and see them in court. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, it would depend on a few more facts. But what if the facts as the employee sees them are wrong and you know them to be wrong. How can you redirect them at that point? What do you suggest? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking because I I do have a couple specific suggestions. And first of all, it's important to acknowledge, I can't say that word enough, acknowledge where people are coming from doesn't mean you agree with them. It just simply acknowledges that you're hearing what they have to say. And so if somebody presents some, you know, I don't know that I want to call them facts, but facts from their perception, and that's going to be another key word I'll get into. What you know to be about their version of the situation is not accurate. Then, again, acknowledging would be something like, you know, thank you for sharing how you see it. I see it differently, and may I share with you how I see it differently? And then you give your version of it, and let's have a learning conversation now. And that's important, again, to for the leader to manage the conversation in a way that opens up the dialogue, to learn where people are coming from. Again, this does not have to be a long, drawn-out time. If people use some strategic things like, tell me two or three things that are really important to you. What are two or three things of, you know, that you would like to see happen around solving this problem? And then I'll come up with two or three things. Our brain actually works really well when we focus on two or three things at a time. And there's all kinds of examples like our phone numbers, our social security numbers, you know. We can remember things when they're broken down like that. And it's the same thing when we're in conflict. Now, the other part about that is that, you know, thank you for sharing with me, you know, how you see things. You know, I actually see it differently. Now we can get into a conversation about perspective taking. And I have a whole exercise on my YouTube channel, very short video that talks about the 360-degree perspective. And I'm always amazed how much it opens up people's eyes and going, I never thought about it that way. You know, it's just, you know, 
wherever we are, whatever our role, whatever our experiences, and who we are as individuals, we can look at the same thing, but we're not seeing the same thing. And that's what conflict is all about. We see things differently. What suggestions or recommendations do you have for someone who's still afraid of conflict? How do they get over that fear? It does take courage to you know, face conflict, particularly if you tend to be more conflict avoidant just by nature. And so I do a lot with the four communication styles, too, as far as helping understand what their natural orientation is. And two of the four are very conflict avoidant. The other two are very conflict embracing, as I like to call it. And so that's where it starts with self first. But the good thing is, is that, again, it's shifting our mindset. Not all conflict's bad. It's how we manage conflict that becomes unhealthy. And so a lot of conflict, when managed well, can really lead to some innovative and productive outcomes. And just people feel good about having worked through a problem together and rather than, you know, lapsing into, you know, ongoing confrontation and tension and open disagreement. And so the awareness about, you know, how they show up, how they react in conflict helps them better understand, you know, there are things that can be done. And once we understand where people are coming from, now we can introduce specific strategies and tactics to help people build their confidence in managing conflict. And, you know, so that's where coaching comes into play. There certainly, you know, are trainings that can be done. A lot of my workplace interventions will actually, what I call a restorative approach to workplace conflict, and that there is some one-on-one coaching, there is some group educational training in terms of conflict and just understanding that whole world and then actually working through how do we change our communication strategies moving forward now that we know what we know and we don't want to go back to where we were and so it's a process it doesn't have to be a long process it's amazing what we can accomplish in a group setting in 90 days but even so with individuals sometimes that kind of group approach is not necessarily the healthiest until the person builds their own confidence and skill set so that's where the one-on-one coaching can come into play. But it's powerful. I just, you know, it, it brings such a huge satisfaction to me when I can actually see people get out of their own way by opening up to looking at things differently. Oh, I can imagine. It, it would be very rewarding. I'm just curious about those types of cultures that some would call toxic, that there are, are norms and methods of communication or non-communication that need a lot of restoration, (laughs) to to use one of your your words. Uh, Are there ever situations that are so opaque that, you know, fine, as long as Dr. Deb is there for that 90 days, we'll all be good little boys and girls. But the minute she's out the door, the elastic snaps back to where it was. And, you know, it's business as usual. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I hear you in, in that that is oftentimes a voiced fear or what happens when you're not here. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the emphasis on live, learn and grow. You know, we're always growing, you know, and if we have an intervention, we're not going to go exactly back to the same way we were. Our mindset has been altered. In fact, I just did a follow up with somebody yesterday on a project I had done last year. You say, how were things going? Because it was pretty toxic. And she said, oh, my gosh, it's so different now, and everyone's getting along, and we're so busy, and people are healthy and happy. And they made some physical organizational change and uh, because they realized the nomenclature that they were using to describe their physical spaces was actually had, had hidden 
derogatory nature, my own little microaggressions, so to speak, and people felt less than, and they didn't even realize, you know, that just how they were calling their workspaces had such a psychological effect on people. And so the good news is, is that people will change. Now, is there some supportive stuff that organizations should do to maintain that change? Absolutely. You can't just do a training or do a 90-day program and then walk away and never revisit it again. That's not what you would do with your financials. So why would you do that with your people? And so there is a way to sustain and maintain that changed cultural attitude in the organization. And I don't know if you saw this a few months ago, but the Surgeon General actually came out and said toxic workplaces are unhealthy for you, much like they did with smoking back in 1965. So it's the physical effects of a toxic workplace are huge and long-lasting. Yes, they are. They certainly are. Well, Dr. Deb, I really love these tips that you've provided and, you know, the advice you've given about reframing and taking a different perspective and ways to calm things down so that we can, you know, really get to the root cause of a problem instead of letting it fester or continuing to trigger like like some kind of a, a nonstop Fourth of July fireworks. <laughs> we don't need that. You know, it's been great. I appreciate your time and all that you do to help us conquer the fear of conflict that works so we can have more constructive and curious conversations to build trust and, and move things forward to uh, achieve our business goals. Now, if you're listening and you'd like to know more about Dr. Deborah Dupree and her ebook, Your Emotional Potential, or her biweekly podcast, Decoding the Conflict Mind, that information as well as a transcript of this interview can be found in the show notes at businessconfidential.com. I believe she also made reference to a YouTube video about perspective, and we'll have a link to that as well. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends about the show. Leave a positive review. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode of Business Confidential Now. Until then, have a great day and an even better tomorrow.